Hi, I'm Hugh Richards. I'm the host of our podcast series, What's the Deal? We just completed a fascinating discussion on geopolitical events, and we're going to rejoin that conversation now to explore different angles in the second episode. I'm joined again by my colleague, Rama Varian Kaval. Rama wears a couple of different and important hats here at JP Morgan. He is the Global Head of Corporate Finance Advisory, also known as the CFA Group, and Global Head of the Center for Carbon Transition. He also serves on the Investment Bank's Reputational Risk Committee. So, Rama, let's go ahead and jump right back in. Thanks, Hugh. It's always fun talking to you. Great. I wanted just to bring us back to the comments that you made at the beginning in the discussion about the instinctive comparison versus the 70s. For example, when you talk about we have oil involved, we have commodities involved, we also have grain involved. We talked and you wrote about food security a few months ago. We also talked about commodity prices, right? We've received the Center for Carbon Transition where we're transitioning to electric vehicles. Key component of those, certain types of commodities that are being impacted. And so when you talk to clients at the board level and the CEO level, and back to your globalization comments, and are we looking at this more from a board level now as an optimization function? But we also have to overlay sort of a security and stability within our operations. How are we seeing discussions like that evolve? Yeah, absolutely. It's top of mind. As I said, you know, the buzzword has shifted from being efficiency to resiliency and security. And we always felt like energy security and energy sustainability were very linked. We always felt like food security and food sustainability were very linked. So we have been on that path for a while now. But the events of the last few months have definitely highlighted the importance of that. We can't really think about sustainability without security. We can talk about the importance of EVs and the growth in the EV market. But at the end of the day, if the sourcing of nickel and copper and lithium are put at risk, then that obviously changes the path towards electrification. That changes the entire dynamic of how fast global economy go towards net zero. So all of these are highly linked. I think our clients are absolutely thinking of not just in terms of physical goods and making sure that they have access to, to physical goods that they need in a secure and sustainable manner, but also things like data security to make sure that the information, data, et cetera, that's critical to run a business is secure and doesn't get caught up in geopolitical tension. So that both goods and information being secure and sustainable is something that's top of mind. So I love that as a takeaway from sort of what we're seeing here is this increasing sense of how do we optimize for efficiency, but also how do we optimize for efficiency in the light of resiliency amongst all of these things. And I think that's an interesting takeaway. Yeah, no, absolutely. That to me is, I, I don't want to say that deglobalization is really where we will end up, but a slowing down of the globalization trend is definitely something I perceive. And that to me means higher rates of inflation, higher costs of capital, right? So it's going to have knock-on effects on how I think CEOs think about their business and how to create value. Great. So let's turn a little bit more to some of the other topics that you brought up in that introduction, first of which really about the inflation outlook of which they're varying degrees. But obviously the Federal Reserve is going to be key to how we react to this environment and its persistence or lack of persistence. How do you feel about where the Fed is right now with a market view of inflation expectations. Where do we think we're going to end up the year or over the next sort of one to two years in terms of the Federal Reserve acting here from a U.S. perspective? I think what's clear is the Fed is in a tough spot. 
and i agree we went from and you know i have a lot of sympathy for obviously what they're doing i don't think i would be able to do anywhere close to as good a job as they are they've had to navigate the somewhat of a regime change from having to constantly think about how to fight persistently low inflation to all of a sudden how do you think about runaway high inflation right it's happened maybe faster than anybody could have imagined and remember just less than 2 years back at this point right in 2020 the fed came out with this average inflation targeting policy the whole idea was they were trying that as a policy to somehow get inflation up a little bit so lots of happened in the last 24 months as we know the fed did increase its benchmark rate in march of this year the market expects basically eight increases for the course of 2022 so we might end up 2022 somewhere in the 2.5% range fed fund rate there is a lot of volatility around that estimate as well i think that seems like a pretty safe bet where we are today and will the fed stick with this average inflation targeting regime which means that they'll have to keep raising rates it's kind of now playing out in worse right because the high inflations will persist in their average data points as they go forward which means that they'll have to keep raising rates well well beyond what they other otherwise might have we'll see if they will have the conviction to keep doing that or not the fed has the posture definitely seems to have turned from being very dovish to quite hawkish it's like they're on that path which all me is very sensible but also seems strongly to point towards a recession at the end of all that to be able to do all that and have a soft landing i think would be a miracle right possible but be quite low probability so i expect the fed to be pretty aggressive in raising rates i think the market needs it i think if the end result of that is a hopefully short lived recession so be it we yeah, obviously we've seen the those expectations sort of play through from sort of a stock market perspective with a little bit of a rotation out of growth stocks into other parts of growth stocks that have done so well over the past several years tell us also from a corporate perspective this view of higher rates over the next sort of eight fed meetings or between now and the end of the year what other corporate finance decisions is that affecting at the board level right now you're absolutely right we were in a era if you will of low rates and low equity risk premiums for a period of time which is unusual if you zoom out far enough what you will say is typically low interest rates is coincident with high equity risk premiums right that's the historical relationship but that was kind of broken in the last few years where we were in an era of low rates and low risk premiums and we explain that as the markets believe in permanent qe permanent quantitative easing that the central banks of the world will always provide a backstop at the first sign of trouble and hence you know, risky assets did not need to command the same premium as they previously did obviously number of central banks around the globe started buying risky assets things like corporate bonds high bonds Uh, unprecedented so that was the era we were in it was a pretty risky strategy i think we are clearly at an end of that right i think the market has clearly we moved away from qe to qt right quantitative tightening we are now firmly past the stage of permanent qe and so this is clear implications for the equity markets the first casualty of this was growth stocks growth stocks where the cash flows were kind of further out in time benefited from low interest rates and low equity risk premium so low overall discount rate in the present value of those further out cash flows was much higher in that regime than 
it would be in a regime like today where we actually have the exact opposite where we have rates are going up and equity risk premium has gone up too we believe quite strongly that growth is still the most important factor that company should think about in most sectors the market values growth again the amount of overvaluation growth enjoyed over the last two years may have been unsustainable and is now being reset but doesn't mean that growth is not going to be valued highly but at the end of the day growth is what the market puts the most premium to so we will continue to see that we often see when you have changes in market conditions especially sudden changes sometimes clients can react in one of two ways either they feel like i want to hunker down and step aside and not really do anything or others might say this cannot possibly be happening to me this is fundamentally divorced from reality of my company my stock so i am going to really lean in and do some aggressive things neither of those two strong reactions is likely to be the right answer for most companies so our approach always is to show data provide context and talk to our clients about what might be the appropriate path for a particular company at any given point in time so those are discussions we are having quite aggressively i do think companies who are in a good position entering this situation they have lots of opportunities who believe in this view that long term growth matters this is a great opportunity to go buy growth at a much better valuation level than you could have 12 months back so there are some companies who have the luxury of thinking that way I think that's fascinating. Let's delve a little bit more into that, right? Because I want to come back to the efficiency and resiliency topic. When we look at companies today, you brought up the concept of companies that can exhibit sort of the growth at a reasonable price type. Where are they looking for that for those growth opportunities now? Is it really just optimizing your business, you're taking small tactical steps or do we still see companies thinking very big scale from an acquisition or strategic repositioning perspective? I think all of the above right for those companies who don't have the luxury of driving top line growth just through organic like as tools I think M&A is a fantastic thing to look at and again for those who have the luxury of being ambitious in a volatile period I think that's the path to take so say right in soccer you know the really good players what they do when they don't have the ball at their feet is what is fantastic to watch right the routes they run the spots they pick to position themselves the best in class companies right in good times they did all those things they positioned themselves in a way that they could benefit from volatile times and many of our clients are in that camp and for them this is an opportunity because you will also see that if you look at historical data aggressive action performed at volatile times whether it's mna or share buyback etc actually outperforms the same actions performed during less volatile times Now the quantum of aggressive action performed in volatile times goes down not everyone is doing that lots of people as i said just hunker down but for those who are able to take aggressive action i think volatile times actually are not a bad time to do it doesn't mean that everybody has to go chase mna by any means right there are absolutely tactical things operational things you could be doing within your business operations to optimize and to create bottom line growth if you can improve margins the reality though is if you look at corporate margins corporate margins have been actually quite high in the last few years for many companies the option of figuring out how to further improve margin may be quite difficult but if you have the option to do it absolutely 
Great. I wanted just to bring us back to you when we were talking a little bit about the Fed. One of the things that we heard a lot about the central banks globally were ramping up their balance sheet with increasingly riskier assets. What is the potential for the unwind here? What's going to happen to markets on the way out? And while obviously markets have gone through a pretty volatile period, it appears like the unwind of the quantitative easing, whether it's in mortgages or treasuries or corporates, appears to have been relatively contained. How are you feeling about where we are in that cycle? Is there another sort of shoe to drop, for lack of a better word, if the Fed has to accelerate or central banks have to accelerate their balance sheet drawdown? I don't think so. I agree with you that the unwind has been reasonably well managed. I think part of it is it's been really well telegraphed. I think we can debate separately whether the amount of communication the central banks do nowadays is too much, potentially. But the one thing, one benefit of a lot of communication is that it's been so well telegraphed. So I do feel like there are pockets of the market who seem to be thinking that the central banks will not unwind, that they were just trying to talk about it without actually planning to follow through. But I think the central banks have followed through, and I think that was clearly the right thing to do. So these balance sheets are still pretty big from a historical perspective. So for the central bank balance sheets to shrink further, there are always risks in that, I believe. But the amount of communication and clarity that they have given I hope is enough for that not to lead to any more like additional volatility on top of everything else we're saying. Makes sense. I want to bring us back a little bit to the carbon transition discussion in the beginning. And I'm wondering how you're seeing corporates think about their disclosure around ESG. And the reason I bring this up is I see it as kind of an interplay between corporate finance and carbon transition and transparency around these topics. Where are we in that process? Is this becoming more of a focus? And how do corporate clients think about incorporating this into their overall stakeholder messaging. Yep. Look, I think disclosure is a massively important topic when it comes to ESG broadly. The way I think about it, if you focus, again, ESG is a pretty big topic, of course. If you focus just on the E and just on the decarbonization part of E, if you will, I think there are various estimates which talk about the global economy needing between $1 to $3 trillion a year to decarbonize if we really want to hit our goals of net zero as a globe. It's a lot of capital. And there's been a lot of capital that's been raised in the markets to try and facilitate this decarbonization of the global economy. But the problem that I see is that the capital that's been raised and the problems that need to be solved, I don't think we have figured out the best, most optimal way to map those two things together. And a big part of that is, in fact, because of poor disclosure. The way I think about it, the chain of events is better disclosure will lead to a better assessment of different companies' situations and starting points and ambition. And a better assessment will lead to better pricing of capital. Right? We see this in credit, right? There's a lot of you know standardized disclosure around credit, and there's a lot of standardized way to assess credit. And then capital flows in a rational manner to optimize for risk and reward, right? That sequence of events needs to happen in this field of decarbonization, I would say even broadly on ESG. A lot of that depends on better disclosure. Now, the ESG report has clearly been something that JP Morgan and pretty much most large companies have been putting out on a voluntary basis now for a few years. 
as you know, there is also now a push towards more required disclosure. The SEC now is out with a proposal to do more disclosure around climate-related matters. And whether or not this particular proposal from the SEC is perfect, to be honest, that's besides the point. I think some standardized disclosure is a must-have, right? So that the markets can look at things in a consistent, comparable way and more efficiently direct capital. This is definitely something that should be top of mind for most companies, and I think it is. So, Rama, thanks for a great discussion. We've walked through the geopolitical environment. We've walked through the Fed, quantitative easing, and how the CCT and CFO, our corporate finance advice to our clients all integrates. Before we leave, I'd just like to ask you for any final parting thoughts for our audience. Thanks for having me. It was always fun talking to you. One thought that's been on my head for a while now. The big macro trend, I mean, the way we think about the world and the way we interact with our clients, we identify big macro trends and then kind of start there. If you believe in these macro trends, we think these are the right steps for you to take. In my mind, digitization, decarbonization, decentralization are kind of those three big trends that have been driving the world for the last couple of years. I think we'll continue to drive for the next few years. I hope deglobalization doesn't become part of that. I hope that is more a noise point as opposed to a big point. So what you do to think about these as forces that are influencing business strategy and corporate policy is how we think about the world. And I think more and more, that's how our clients are thinking about the world as well. So thank you for having me. I appreciate that because I think that's a wonderful point because I think with all these volatile periods, what we begin to understand from each and every one of them is just the true integrated nature of all these decisions is rarely addressable unless they're viewed as part of a system. You brought us back to a terrific point earlier on ESG. There are actually three letters there, right? And sometimes only one or two get the focus at any one time. And I think one of the things that we continue to focus on, and I know you're focused on, as you said, is how this works together as a system. Yep. It's not an or, it's an and statement, like how all these things work together. And I think what you ran us through here today is efficiency and resiliency. It's growth and risk management. It's all of these things wrapped together. And that's what I always come back to in terms of lessons learned whenever we get into any of these volatile environments is, uh, is what panning back, viewing it all as an integrated system. And I think some of the things that you brought out today and the roles you're playing here at JP Morgan show the natural integration of that. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.